Welcome to Midnight Book Club. I'm John Hart. And I'm Alexa. Pour yourself a stiff drink, pull up a chair, and get lost in the fantasy for a while. in the road okay my high school prom (laughs) (laughs) i'm feeling very nostalgic a little nostalgic i'm 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 noticing um yeah that was that was also my my high school's prom or my high school prom song you know what my high school junior prom song was what was that the friends theme song so no one told you life was gonna be this way um, this was in 2010. That also explains your your odd dislike for friends. I don't have a weird dislike for friends. I've watched the whole <laughs> series. I just don't think it's that good. <laughs> like it's fine. But I think you're like the only person that doesn't think it's good. Well, I think it has its moments, but No, I think you're a pod person. Okay, that's fair. You're a pod person. There's something weird. I don't know. I just think it's like a very generic story about very generic people. You say that it is a generic storyline that has a broad mass appeal and millions and millions of people like it. That is so offensive, Alexa. You could not be further from the truth. That is very, <laughs> very specific and not at all generically relatable to every single person on the planet. I say this as someone who really likes The Office, which is very generic yes. at times as well. <laughs> yes. But you know what? It's fine. It's fine. Well, I think I think it's also possible that like Friends kind of, it was a very specific time frame that it was relevant to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think The Office is kind of like the next Friends um, in that it kind of like took, picked up right where Friends left off kind of thing. Um, In that like the people who were a little bit too young to be into friends and really like enjoy that piece of like point in time. Um, And so like the office kind of picked up where that is. So like I noticed people like probably yeah people probably born like in the early 90s to like like 2004 I want to say. Yeah. are really big into the office and i'm kind of wondering what the next sitcom is gonna be you know what i mean the big bang theory oh god you shut your mouth <laughs> you hold your tongue woman okay i i don't know if i've ever gone off on the big bang theory on the show but permit me like two seconds to okay. get up on a soapbox we, we don't have a lot of time, i will i will summarize my hatred in like three sentences okay big bang theory is not a show for nerds it is a show making fun of nerds okay it's also not fucking funny. Okay, you could have go, that. <laughs> go on YouTube, look up Big Bang Theory without a laugh track, and you realize entirely how unfucking funny that show is. Well, if you have the laugh track in there, of course it's going to be funny because other people are laughing for. A yeah, reason. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It must be funny then. And I say this as someone who like was really excited when the Big Bang Theory first started because like there was a whole lot of hubbub like oh yeah you know they're they're actually you know the actual science that they're joking about is real in it you know they have scientific consultants and blah 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 and like and like okay yeah like so i wanted to like it and then like i started watching it and i was like this has really bland sitcom like tropes written all over it 
Says the person who watches How I Met Your Mother. I watched it one time through. It's bad. It's not a great show. <laughs> I'm not defending How I Met Your Mother. It's it's quotable, and that's about all it has going for it. Yeah. I mean, l- like literally, I honestly like Neil Patrick Harris basically carried the entire show. Like, I don't like him. No, you don't. Did you ever see Harold and Kumar? I'm not really talking about him as a person. I don't like his character, no, no. and his character isn't that funny. Okay, the reason I bring that up is because his like his character in How I Met Your Mother is based entirely off of his character in Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle. His catchphrases are so dumb. Like they that are. suit up yes. thing is so annoying. Yes. And I'm just like really sick of it. Well, I mean, like the point of the point of him was kind of that he was like the personification of toxic bro culture all condensed down and distilled into one. I don't think no, the bros no, got like, that. I don't think the bros got that because they bought not. t-shirts. Yes. And <laughs> that they is completely find accurate. Him hilarious. So yes. Point missed completely. <laughs> when satire goes full 180 and becomes subversive of the subversion. Well, okay, we've gotten a little off track. A little track off track, here. yeah. So we're here to summarize book eight, seven, five. What book series have you two? been reading? Book four. Book we, purple? We know that Anse loves seven. That's true. We That's are true. on the sixth part. Sixth book. Of a seven part I was gonna legacy. Get there, I was going to get there eventually. Six. We're here tonight, actually, to put a close on the Tower of Swallows era. It's been a good one. We've been here mm-hmm. for quite mm-hmm. a while. Oh, quite. Quite a while. Quite a while is an understatement. But we're ready to talk through it, process it, and prepare for the next book. And... Unfortunately, guys, this is the last summary before the last summary. That's true. Are we going to do a summary of the last book? Yeah. Because, yeah, okay. Yeah, I was going to say that that feels a little weird, maybe. But I guess it makes sense. No, I mean, yeah, yeah. We got we to gotta talk about it. On these summary episodes, we generally don't vamp quite as much. No. But tonight, <laughs> we're just in rare form, and we're having fun with mm-hmm. these chapter summaries. We're going oh, yeah. to be getting yes. into John Mark's patented one-sentence summaries. TM. So why don't we start there? <sighs> Let me uh, limber up here. Yeah. <clears throat> been a while you have to dust off it, it really your, has uh, been a while i, I have to skills. yep i have to i have to pull these skills out of uh out of my butt like i usually do like i do with most of my skill sets it's it's mostly just pulled out of my butt that's disturbing yep yep okay so uh why don't you uh give me the chapter number and i will give you uh I will give you my patented one-sentence chapter summary. Great. Mm-hmm. Chapter one. Fifty first dates with old guys. Holy shit, that wasn't the last book. <laughs> <laughs> chapter two. Sex, drugs, dirty tattoos. Siri kills a man, but not how you'd expect. Bonnard is really evil. Chapter three. Uh, famous Geralt, donkey vampire jokes, Wicker Man, Sans Nick Cage, and Dandelion Curses the Future. Fair. Chapter four. Uh, dances with swords. Siri becomes a gladiator. Chapter five. Geralt K. Here Fight Club. Uh, Geralt, <laughs> Geralt's calendar is very off. Chapter six. Um, fighting in a coal mine, going down, down. Also, subtitle, uh, you get a CTE. You get a CTE. <laughs> Everybody gets a CTE. Chapter seven. Uh, Geralt enters the Underdark, never-ending Yeti story. Come burn them wood. Everybody in the Wicker Lady, burn them all. Chapter eight. Uh, Deekster gets money from Rich Outcast Kingdom. A seer has a good spy in the Nilfgaard court. Chapter 9. 
Yennefer can't eat fish and blackmails literally everyone. Floaty boat, go fly sky. <laughs> Chapter 10. Uh, the stupid Legion of Doom meets. Siri gets to use 100% of her brain, then kills everyone while being too spooky for me. Chapter 11. Disney presents death on ice. Siri <laughs> visits the end of time. Death on Ice was a reject episode title for uh, last chapter. It was, but I loved it so much I had to bring it back. Well, I have the less fun task of summarizing all of the chapters we literally just covered. Well, we can't all be the non-straight man. Wait. So in a comedy duo, you have have the straight man and then you have the not straight man. What's the term for the, the other one? I don't think there is a term. The goofy guy? <laughs> yeah, you're the goofy guy, clearly. Yes. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. You've embraced your identity. I, I I, couldn't fight it if I wanted to. I have tried to do something a little different because um, if you've listened to this podcast, you may know I get a little in the weeds. You get a little in the weeds. It's okay. We love you. I love details. Yes. And sometimes <laughs> I don't realize that no one cares about like what Siri ate for breakfast, although I very much think it's significant. But I actually distilled this one, so we're not going to be sitting here for hours recapping every single blow-by-blow. I was going to say, so this time you took the you took a summarization of my summarized notes, yes, correct? Yes, that was the method. We yes. will see if it's successful. It seems so, but we'll, we'll test it out. Okay, let's start with chapter one. So... First, we learn that something quite ominous happened on the night of the autumn equinox. The wild hunt rode through, Nightjar screamed, a giant storm happened in Skellige, and Yennefer is rumored to be dead. A number of very important characters wake up in the middle of the night, unable to figure out what happened. Triss is at Elendor um, with Mother Naneke, and everyone um, feels that something happened, they just don't know what. Yari is convinced that something bad happened to Siri. We meet Visigoda, an old hermit living in the woods, who is checking his muskrat traps when he comes across what he thinks is a very injured young man. He learns she is a girl and takes her back to his cabin to heal her. He documents her journey. She isn't doing well at first, but her fever finally breaks after Visigoda gives her risky herbs and begs gods he doesn't believe in to help him. When she finally wakes up, she asks for a mirror. Visigoda doesn't want to show her because she now has a disfiguring scar. She tells him that she was being hunted and had to flee. And she tells him that she was cut by Stefan Skellen, who we also know as Tawny Owl. They talk about how long she was out. It is currently October 5th, and they are disagreeing about when she was wounded. She says she was wounded on the equinox, but that doesn't make sense because her wound looked fresh. So there's a four-day discrepancy between when Ciri says she was wounded and when Visigoda thinks she was wounded based on her injury. She wants to leave immediately, but she like collapses on the ground. She's clearly in no state. Plus, Visigoda says that no one will find her in his cabin. He's quite isolated out there. Uh, they argue. Siri says he couldn't possibly imagine who she is. Visigoda says that he's a proud hermit, and of course, he doesn't know the ways of the world. Siri says bullshit. I know that there's more to your story. And he tells her his sad little story. He was a professor and he was driven out of the North and the South. And Siri begins to relay her own story, which we hear throughout the book. Chapter two, Siri's story begins. A man named Hotspurn arrives at a station in the middle of nowhere. 
The rats have held this place ransom and are getting tattoos and taking lots of drugs, which is called fizz tech. It's basically cocaine. Hotspurn tells the rats they're getting sloppy and ignoring the signs he's providing them. They have some sort of agreement where the rats do tasks for the thieves guild and avoid carriages marked with the special guild symbol. The Hotspurn says that everyone seems to be after the rats lately, especially a baron who wants to flay Falca alive. He says that Bonart, a skilled bounty hunter, is after them. Them. Everyone seems really scared of him. Hotspurn is trying to convince the rats to turn themselves into Nilfgaard because the Emperor has announced an amnesty deal. The amnesty is because um, Amir, Emperor Amir, is celebrating his upcoming marriage to Cirilla, who was imprisoned by evil Queen Kalanthe for years and escaped to beg Nilfgaard for protection. Siri can't help herself, she calls bullshit on everything. The rats turn down the amnesty offer. But Hotspurn says if they ever change their minds to come after him. The rats begin plotting to go get Bonner because, of course, they're on drugs and they're stupid. Not a great combination. Siri decides to leave. She's getting curious about the treasures and accolades that await her as a princess of Sintra. And she wants to go after Hotspurn and find out how to get to Sintra. Um, before she leaves, Missile catches up with her and they say goodbye. When she catches up with Hotspurn, she asks the way to Sintra. He says, maybe I'll just ride along with you. Hotspurn is clearly flirting with her. And eventually they are chased by riders in the forest. Hotspurn is fatally wounded, but of course he wants to go out having seduced Siri. He warns her slightly before that not to go to Jealousy, which is where Bonnart is going and also where the rats are going. So while they are in the midst of the deed, he dies and they are not able to actually consummate this short-lived relationship. Siri just sort of uh, shakes off his corpse and naps there, and then in the morning, this magical black seed that was his, Kelpie, returns and she rides away. So what do you do when someone tells you not to push the big red button? You do it. So Siri decides, of course, she's going to ride to Jealousy. In Jealousy, Bonner is confronted by the rats who are killed swiftly one by one. Siri rides up just as he's finishing off Missile. They fight, but Bonner bests her and makes her watch Missile die. He finishes all of this off by having her watch him chop off all of the rats' heads. Chapter 3. Um, Dandelion reads from his memoirs about what happened next for Geralt and co. Geralt was getting pretty high on his own supply after being knighted, but things start going south when he tells Queen Meave that he wants to ride in the other direction after the druids. The whole party runs off with some stolen goods from Queen Meave and a mule named Dracul. Kay here is officially a deserter from both sides of a major world war. They cross a river, still holding on to their horses. Everyone is grumpy. Dandelion has a weird dream about Yennefer. Triss is in a tavern hearing about Yennefer in Skellige. Yennefer flew into the sea and was pulled up in a fishing net and smacked with an oar. The person telling the story reveals that Yennefer is dead, which causes Triss to spit out her teeth. Geralt and co are still traveling. Um, Milva cuts off her braid to grieve after her miscarriage. Dandelion is annoyed that Kahir is looking over his shoulder all the time at his writing. Milva thinks Dandelion's writing could be a threat. Everyone disagrees. Dandelion speculates about Kahir's intentions. He was at the Ned. He rescued Ciri. 
Geralt still doubts his intentions and thinks he wants to double cross them at some point. At Amir's court, Amir is getting really mad at Vadir for not being able to find Ciri or Kay here. Uh, they recently found one of Vilgefortz's hideouts. Seems he's up to something ominous. Vadir tries to throw Skellen under the bus like, look at him. He's like over in this western country just hunting down random gangs of kids. Uh, but Amir has nothing um, to say about Skellen. He just continues to berate Vadir. Vadir takes a long, sad walk through the courtyard and is confronted by Rhines, who says um, via teleprojection, of course, he's not going to show his face in Nilfgaard, that the next time he sees him, he will bring him Cahir's head. Back with Geralt and co., they finally reach this place called Riverdale, and they meet a beekeeper. He invites them to spend some time at his hut. They tell him they're trying to find the druids. He mentions Chekhov's wicker woman. More on that later. The beekeeper says the druids have already left and gone to the slopes, which is great because the next morning the beekeeper's friends all show up and say, hey, we want an escort to the slopes. Geralt grumpily agrees to be their escort. Way in the future, someone finds what we think are Dandelion's manuscripts and these robbers burn this groundbreaking manuscript from the Dark Ages, fearing that it may have some spooky spells on it or something. Chapter 4. We are at a trial for high treason. We meet Kenna Selborne, a psionic. Uh, that means she can read other people's thoughts and also make them think or feel things. They ask her to tell them about her recollection of Siri. Um, Kenna was working with the Hansa, a company of mercenaries led by Tawny Owl slash Stefan Skellen. At a tavern, a guy keeps bragging that he was involved in the Bonner incident, so Stefan Skellen's men get him, and he talks about what happened next with Siri. So first, in jealousy, Bonner demanded Siri undress to check whether she had weapons. He ordered people around, and he ordered this guy, who was captured, to deliver messages, including to a guy named Tuvenagel. They ride to Faino on the morning of September 16th. Um, everyone is also afraid of Bonner here, they wonder why he's keeping Falca or Siri alive. He probably thinks he can make money by selling her to someone else. In jealousy, Bonart was confronted by some of the Baron's men who were demanding that Falca be turned over to them. Uh, he says, Come meet us in Claremont. Um, Siri says they rode for two days until they reach Fano. They reach the city on September 16th and they meet with the swordsman. He first gives her this one sword, but it's way too heavy for her. Um, but then he pulls out this one special sword that has a very significant emblem on it. It has a tower being struck by lightning, a symbol of chaos and destruction, and above the tower, a swallow. This is the same sword that Ciri shows by Sagoda. In Claremont, Bonart meets with Hoovenagel, who is scum. He offers him a job as a bodyguard, threatening the people that have claimed land for Hoovenagel and Nilfgaard and made him a very wealthy man. Hoovenagel has an arena, so why not just give Ciri a bunch of drugs and force her to fight. She butchers the Baron's men who have showed up to claim their prize um, one by one, and Bonnet realizes that she really is the Witcher girl. The captain of the Baron's men says that these guys will discard her when they're done with her. He's not wrong. Chapter 5. Geralt gets interrogated by a prefect. We flash back to how this all happened. It started when Geralt and co. were traveling with the beekeepers, and they finally arrived in a town at long last, the destination of this whole party. Um, so the beekeepers tell them, hey, actually, the druids are nearby. We were lying, but it turns out to be true. 
Um, so Geralt wants to leave right away. Let's go find them. But everyone else wants to stay a night. They're tired. They want to drink, etc. That's when Geralt is apprehended by Nilfgaardian soldiers. So this prefect questions him about what he's doing there. Um, he brings in a blonde girl who Geralt thinks swears is Siri, And they keep hitting her. This bothers Geralt a lot. Uh, the prefect questions um, her about the party that Geralt is traveling with and uh, gives him a description of the party just excluding one member. So it turns out there's an ambush planned for Geralt and Cohen Bellhaven and that Geralt will be killed. Um, this girl is escorted out of the room and Geralt asks if she'll be granted amnesty or not. Apparently the amnesty is that she will be hung and not killed in a more horrifying way. Um, Geralt and the Prefect have a long and interesting discussion about law and order. The Prefect asks Geralt to kill the man plotting this trap, Nightingale, and that they'll call it even. Geralt agrees on two conditions. One, that he be allowed to go in the direction of the Druids, and two, that the girl be released. Later, Geralt reunites with Regis and introduces him to Angle M. They are baffled about her only talking about four party members, not five. Geralt thinks that's because Cahir is a traitor, because, well, of course, everything comes back to that. So when the party reunites, everyone is bothered by Anglem um, just existing. Um, Geralt tells everyone to go to the border of Toussaint and wait. Just he, Milva, and Anglem will go to meet the hitmen. Anglem says, okay, but Cahir should go instead of Milva, which of course aggravates Geralt, who hates him. Geralt insinuates that Cahir is a traitor and a liar. Cahir is like, you insult my honor, sir, and they get into a big fight. It's only broken up when Milva starts bashing them and leaves welts on uh, both of them, so. Yeah, she basically like takes her belt off and just like starts wailing on them. After the fight, Geralt apologizes to Cahir and says that he realizes um, some key things. One is that Ciri is dead, that she died two nights ago on the equinox. The other is that someone very close to him, who we know must be Yennefer, has betrayed him. So now their only mission is revenge. Ciri with Visigoda says he was wrong about all of that because of course. Um, especially because he said all of this before the equinox even happened. Chapter 6. Angolam, Cahir, and Geralt travel along the Nevi Valley toward Bellhaven. They reach a mine where Angolam's old friend works as a foreman. Geralt threatens him and he tells them to go to the Rialto pit. Nightingale's men are waiting for them. Angolam tells them that she and her gang killed the Witcher. They kill all of Nightingale's men and then a half-elf comes out of a nearby building. The half-elf introduces himself as Shiru and they discuss killing the Witcher with him. He doesn't really believe them and then Geralt hands Shiru his wolf medallion to prove, hey, we actually killed the Witcher. Shiru doesn't seem to really believe them but says, okay, you've convinced me. He kind of insults Geralt a bit, says he's an idiot. Um, and then when Anglem goes to get the payment, he strikes against her and... Right at that moment, some Nilfgaardians approach, and it turns out everyone, Nightingale, Shiru, and these Nilfgaardians are all in this plot together. So the party is going to be hanged. A brawl breaks out. Some guys come out of the shadows and just start shooting arrows, and we never hear from them again. The commander of the Nilfgaardians dies. Kay here is injured pretty badly. Geralt is in a blind rage, however. Um, he really wants to get Shiru, um, but he is convinced eventually to ride off with Anglem and Kay here. Um, Nightingale and Shiru are both left alive. 
Later, Geralt convinces Anglem to ride ahead to Toussaint, and he stays with Kahir, who is not doing so hot. Um, as he's recovering, Kahir tells the story of the Siege of Sintra from his perspective, and he tells Geralt that when he sees Ciri in dreams, he sees her as a young woman. He even describes her rose tattoo she has around her groin. So we know he's actually seeing these prophetic dreams as well. They put their differences aside for now, knowing that when they actually find her, they might have a conflict. And finally, they reunite with Regis at the border of Toussaint. Chapter 7. Regis takes Cahir and Geralt to a cave. He says that Geralt has to enter without weapons to make peace with the druids. Sure, that makes sense. Um, he enters unarmed and there are a lot of critters around. The big boss of the cave, a knocker, taunts him and punches him. A voice calls out from the insides of the cave and Geralt meets an elf who is painting on the cave wall. He introduces himself as Avalok and says he wants to show Geralt something ominous. He talks a lot about the prophecy and the swallow. The swallow, the symbol of spring, is the savior. Geralt asks if it's Ciri or Ciri's child. Avalok says, let me show you something. Um, it's a statue of Lara Doran and her lover. Cregan and Avlaud is cut out. And then he goes into this really weird rant and says, see, the problem with elves is sex. Female elves realize they could ovulate instantly with human males. So Lara ended up ruining years of planning by choosing a human male, and she got pregnant, and thus Ciri came into existence many generations later. Um, elves didn't punish Lara for this, humans did eventually. No one is quite sure why Ciri's powers are so strong or why the Lara Doran gene is so present in her. Avalok thinks that Vilgefortz likely knows. Geralt keeps trying to excuse himself. Avlok says that him intervening with Ciri's destiny will actually be harmful and cause the deaths of tens of thousands of people. Geralt asks if Avlok can show him Ciri. He says he can using the magic cave crystals. But instead of seeing Ciri, he sees his company in danger, and Geralt says he needs to get to the forest, and fast. Avlok says, I have just the steed. It turns out it's the knocker, and he uh, yeets his way all the way to the druid forest. Um, so Geralt in the forest comes across a knight errant. They come across Geralt's company, and everyone reunites quite briefly because the knight's errant recognized Dandelion as someone named Viscount Julian. They insist on taking him to uh, Toussaint to see Duchess Honorietta. He says, as Viscount Julian's friends, you of course are all welcome. Geralt says, oh yeah, we'll definitely take you up on that. But first, we've got to find some druids. So they go to the spooky druid forest and they encounter a giant fucking tree. Giant fucking tree. And that moves. tree just carries them all to the druid circle. They have actually built a wicker woman. and Nicholas Cage is nowhere to be seen. Unfortunately. And inside the wicker woman, there is Shiru and Nightingale. And Geralt asks the lady who is leading the druids to talk to them for just a minute. They need this information desperately, but she says it's no use and they die anyway before Geralt can get any info at all. Chapter 8, John Mark's favorite chapter. Dijkstra goes up north to Kovir. He meets with Estrad Thyssen, king of Kovir. Dijkstra asks Estrad for money. Estrad says that Kovir is neutral and can't risk crossing Nilfgaard. Unless. 
Nilfgaard is planning to strike the north again in the spring. We check in with Cantarella, who is spying for a seer on Vadir de Rodeau, who is fucking stupid. Uh, she gives intelligence from her encounter with Vadir to a seer, who gives it to Philippa. This is about Nilfgaard's plans to strike in the spring. They're going to back out of all of their treaties with the north, including um, Tamaria and Cadwin. Um, so Estrad is quite conflicted about what to do with the Dijkstra problem. He asks his wife for help, and she tells him the good book says to support the pauper with half a watermelon when he asks for a whole watermelon. Further, the good book also says to give your neighbor your impish cats. He takes that very much to heart, and it turns out that he interpreted that and convinced Novigrad to give Redania the money they needed. And Kovir released all of its prisoners, who just so happened to fight for Redania. Dijkstra and Estrad part, and they both later encounter assassins. Chapter 9. Yennefer is in Skellige. She meets with Crake, who arrives with longships and care trolled. Crake at first insists that she will be transported back to the continent to face trial because, you know, she's a traitor. Yennefer insists, nope, none of that's happening because you made a promise to Ciri, and I'm going to save her. Crake says, sure. I'll do anything that you need so you can help Siri. The problem is that she needs a really big diamond, and there is virtually no options for that on Skellige, except one place. And it's at the Temple of Modron Freya, a goddess, and it is a B-I-G, capital B-I-G diamond. It's called Brinsingamen. Uh, the priestess says that giving Yennefer the diamond is impossible. It's like part of the statue. <laughs> um, but she says, you know... This place is a little magical. Why don't you stay around? Yennefer has a vision later that night. She's on a tree and is told to sacrifice. There is a lot of Norse mythology here. When she wakes up, Brissing Eamon is at her feet. Um, so she moves her workshop to the temple and talks to a lot of people. Um, Craig tells Yennefer about his suspicions about the Sedna Abyss and how he thinks the Duny Pavetta shipwreck wasn't really an accident. Uh, Triss later shows up in Skellige and asks Craig what went on with Yennefer. Craig says that the priestess um, and him met, and he asked about who Yennefer talked to in the days before she departed. The priestess says she blackmailed a lot of people and was ruthless. Triss tells Craig about the Radcliffe report that showed that someone teleported straight to the Sedna Abyss. Um, back in the swamp, Visigoda talks to Siri about the four-day gap. He says there is a connection between the Tower of the Gull and the Tower of the Swallows. He says the portal will open only for Ciri because she is the chosen one. Triss asks Craig how Yennefer came to sail to the Sedna Abyss. On August 26th, Yennefer realized she wanted to take a play out of Geralt's book and do something stupid. People may be onto her already. Triss asks what happened next. Well, Yennefer asks Craig that... Uh, Yennefer asks Craig for two longships, and he says, okay, I'll do you one better. I'll also send my 19-year-old son, Hjalmar, and Yennefer is like, ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, Craig tells her this really beautiful story about Siri and Skellige. Siri and Hjalmar apparently had ice skating contests, and Siri was um, a master at jumping over rocks, and Hjalmar injured himself trying to best her. Hjalmar was so impressed by Siri, and Siri so smitten with Hjalmar that they ended up uh, deciding that they were going to be betrothed. Um, everyone was kind of upset around this because Siri, of course, was the only heir of Sintra, uh, Kalanthe was not happy about it, and she sent for Ciri immediately. The two were separated. 
Um, and then the siege happened. So Hjalmar wants to help in whatever way he can. Craig asked Triss if she knew who Yennefer had talked to the night before she left, and it's clear that he's on to her. It turns out that Yennefer had talked to Triss and Philippa, who refused to help her at all, not even a little bit. Uh, Yennefer leaves for the abyss, and once there, she asks for volunteers to sail forward, the minimum needed to steer a longship. So they depart, and the ship is ripped apart by the maelstrom. Everyone dies, um, except the people they don't see, so who knows what happened to those other people. Uh, Craig doesn't think it's an accident now, or when it happened to Dooney and Pavetta. Chapter 10. Kenna Selborne is in jail. She relays the rest of the story with Siri. Um, she tells Stefan Skellen that there is an invisible spy. They root him out with a pancake treatment. It's rhymes, and they threaten him with torture. Kenna hears one of his thoughts that he hadn't meant to reveal just yet. Then Bonnart comes to town. Bicycota learns that there are sentries nearby searching for a girl. When he comes back, Siri is rearing to go. She and Bicycota argue about revenge. She says before she goes, she needs to tell him what happened in Unicorn. Once Bonnart comes in, there's a summit Obadis. Vilgefortz is talking to them via a magical casket device. He wants Siri's placenta. Presented without commentary, because we can't really get into that right now. Uh, Bonnart says he knows who she really is. Vilgefort said he will cut both Bonnart and Skellen into a deal. Uh, meanwhile, Kenna is approached by Nerit and Seika to betray Skellen. She tells him no, but the seed is planted. She tries to infiltrate Ciri's mind, and uh, Ciri pushes her out immediately and gives her a nosebleed. But something happens. Ciri regains all of her power. Siri regains all of her magic. Um, so she escapes with the help of Nerritin. Skellen strikes her with an Orion, but she escapes on a horse. Everyone looks for her, but her tracks just abruptly stop. In the woods, people encounter spooky stuff like night jars and spectral figures. Uh, later, Siri bids Visigoda farewell, and she rides to a tavern in Dendare and butchers everyone on Same Nave. Tragically, back in the wilderness, back in his hut, Viasagoda dies. Still not easy to talk about. I'm not over it. Nope, never will be. Chapter 11. Um, some girls report to Mother Neneke before they go to war. Yari wants to go too, um, but Mother Neneke is not about that life. She says, go back to your library, library nerd. Uh, Neneke tells Triss to come with her. They perform a little ritual with Ciri's stuff with Iola the First. Remember her? A fisherman encounters a weird, almost demonic figure by the frozen lake. She asks directions to Tarmira. Reince and the other men are in pursuit, um, and Vilgefortz is not communicating via the magical box. So, as Reince describes, he can't hear his soothing, melodic voice. Boreas Mun has been plagued with weird dreams as of late. Dreams of drowning. Meanwhile, Yennefer opens her eyes at the bottom of a pit. She is tortured by Vilgefortz via an empathetic probe to get whatever information he can about Ciri. But all she gives up is the Witcher's location. So that's how Shiru came to go after Geralt and Reince got stuck with this assignment, which he thought would be easy, but is turning out to not be quite as he imagined. Uh, he's jealous of Shiru and says, bet he's nice and warm right now. Ironic. 
so before the uh, crew arrives in Tarnmira, Kenna and two men abandon Skellen and say, this has gone too far. You're not going to stick us on the girl like dogs. Skellen gets pretty mad, but once they reach the lake, he almost falls through the ice, which is another bad sign. Um, so the men all go on foot and they see footprints that seem really clear for some reason, but no one questions this. Uh, they just follow them into the midst of this frozen lake and it's very foggy so they can't see their own noses basically the tracks just abruptly stop uh, bonner at this point just gets the hell out of dodge and doubles back um, the men are all isolated on the lake and suddenly they hear ice skates siri on ice skates starts picking them off one by one ryan's cast a spell and it makes everything worse Rhymes, who is in a frozen pond of his own creation is hanging on and series gates over and cuts all of his fingers off so he dies Skellen is left alive um, Bonnar is riding after Siri who is riding toward the Tower of Swallows and she reaches the portal um, and Bonnar is and Bonnar is stopped by visions of the wild hunt unicorns and a tower erupting out of nothing. He's not really spooked, but his horse is, and he goes through the ice. Unfortunately, he does live to see another day. Siri, once inside the tower, sees Bicegoda and Yennefer being tortured, and Geralt, dot, 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 having sex. Um, and then she comes to a place that's clearly in the middle of spring, which is weird because she just came from an icy tundra. And she meets an angular elf who asks her, what kept you? And that is our summary of Tower of Swallows. It is indeed. One little thing that I wanted to uh, say as an aside. I like to think, so that little bit that um, they have with uh, Reince not being able to communicate with uh, Vogelforts on the, the, the little box. I really want to think that Reince just had it like on the wrong channel. You probably like did. a walkie-talkie. You probably and did. And so, like the fish bumping it, like changed the channel and like got <laughs> it back to like channel four or something like that. And and now Visegoda or Vogelforts was on the correct channel. Yeah, I think that's likely, especially because we know Vogelforts can't pick out henchmen to save his nope, life. Nope, he cannot. So that that seems pretty on brand for Reince. After listening to this whole book summarized again, what were your favorite parts? What are some of the things that really stood out to you? I mean, death on ice, of course, yes, um, is exceedingly memorable because it is it's it's a very unique like combat scene um, because, you know, especially in fantasy novels, we get a lot of combat. That's something we see quite a bit. But this is kind of like non-combat combat, which is really, really fun. Um, and it once again, it it fl- it plays out more like a D&D encounter. You know what's something I'm really just putting together in my head? What's that? So when Geralt was training Siri, he would constantly say, this isn't dancing. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. he would always kind of criticize her on that because she wasn't fighting like a witcher. But actually, she's found a way to meld various styles to her own personal brand. So really, she is doing something that's very witcher-like, but she is melding it to her own experiences and talents. Yes, and in the hierarchy of learning, synergy is at the very apex of it. That when you are taking things that you know independent of each other and you are blending them together in your own way and adding your own branding to it um, is the apex of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and so Siri has reached that she has she has uh, she's borderline a master swordsman ish 
Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I reading it back, I I definitely have an appreciation for how much happens in this book because yes. it's such a journey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> from beginning to end. Like at the beginning, I told you like this is really a book about time. Mm-hmm. And that's so true here because our timeline is so small. It's yes. smaller than it's ever been. But so much happens. It's really between August and like the end of September. Yeah, yeah. And maybe the very beginning of October. Um, and I think there yep. are some, you know, variances with that yeah um but it's weird because we feel like maybe 10 years have passed yes <laughs> but yes it's so short relatively mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it makes me think that it's going to be really hard to tell this story because i feel like the actress is going to be pretty old by the well, time yeah. they get to this yeah and it's going to be really interesting because yeah she's supposed to be like 14 um She's supposed to be like fourteen when when this happens. Not fourteen, probably like sixteen. Still, um, you know, she's yeah, and realistically, the actress will probably be late twenties at that point, because um, this is probably four or five years down the line from now at the earliest. So yeah, I don't know how they're going to handle this for the TV show, but I, they better do it well because like these are some of the best parts of the the series. So mm-hmm. they got to be real careful with this, otherwise. I, as an individual fan, will be very upset. And they'll have to reckon with They'll have to reckon you. with me. <laughs> yeah. You're going to write a really strongly worded yeah. email to Netflix. I'm going to I'm gonna write it. such a review on Metacritic. <laughs> Dear basically. friend. Dear friend. Well, I want to get into our wine selection for tonight. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. first, I want to ask you, if you had to rank Tower of Swallows with the other books we've read in the series, where would Tower of Swallows fall? Ooh, uh, so I think Tower of Swallows would probably be probably my third favorite. Okay, so what's your list looking like now? Um, So Baptism of Fire, number one. Mm-hmm. Duh. Um, probably The Last Wish. And then Tower of Swallows. And then the other ones in some sort of order. Um, But uh, I think the only reason it doesn't necessarily get before Last Wish is because there there really is a lot of build-up chapters here. Um, The culmination is is really fantastic. And, like, the ending is really, really, really strong. Um, And you really earn Mm -hmm. that ending of this book. But there's a lot of of build-up. It has to happen. And it's good that it happens because it makes it feel worth it. Um, and it's a lot of time to get really invested in the story, but there's a lot of buildup in this book. Yeah. So I feel like it might be fourth for me. Okay. Okay. Um, Who's three? But it's only because the other contenders are so strong. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's Baptism of Fire, mm-hmm. Last Wish, um, Time of Contempt, just because I really love the Ned. And I think the arc is super satisfying. Okay. You then know what? Power I, of Swallows. I'm reordering. I, I, yes, I think I agree with you that because like Siri in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty great. Power yeah. of Swallows, then probably Sword of Destiny, um, and then Blood of Elves because mm. I think Blood of Elves is a very, I mean, there's. And, and none of these are bad. It's just there. Yeah. There's a lot of establishing factors. Yes. And I'm kind of ranking it based on like the overall. A lot plot. of these are like middle episodes. You know what I mean? They're not mm-hmm. like 
they're not conclusion episodes they're not introduction episodes they're kind of just like continuations of the plot and those are kind of like the hard parts for um for stories to deal with necessarily because they have to stay engaging in some way while still just kind of generally moving the plot forward so i think it does they they did a really good job he did a really good job of it but it's still kind of a connecting book every book is so good i don't want to put down blood of elves is still really good it's got so much of the siri and yennefer Mm -hmm, building mm -hmm. plot to like it has the dear friend chapter one of my favorite exchanges um, but for me, it's just like time of contempt is so pivotal in the plot. And I'm mostly now ranking based on how much they contribute to the world building and mm, our understanding mm. of what's happening. That's a, I mean, that's a pretty good way to look at it too. Um, I really, yeah. And like, I forget how much happens. Like literally you were, you were reading, you were reading your summary of my summaries <laughs> And you were reading chapter one and I was like, that's why I had that subtitle of like, holy shit, that happened in this book. I know. Like, I genuinely thought it was a different book. I thought it was the last book. It, it doesn't feel like all of this happened in one book. No, but. no, because because it's been there's so much that happens in it, especially towards the end. Um, and it's such a condensed timeline that like you, you're just sitting there and you're like, oh, there's a lot of material here. And it all happened in this book. Well, I want to get more into our discussion, but mm-hmm. first, I think we should open our wine okay. and introduce it. So, Correct. Uh, that's usually what we do, so let's do what we usually do. All right, then. <laughs> do you think it's time for a nightcap? Yes. I don't know. I don't know if I should have more nightcaps, but yeah, let's let's have a nightcap. Let's so, do it. Yep. So tonight, uh, we didn't really have a, a super tight theme um, because there's a lot that happens as we've discussed. So we kind of just grabbed a wine that we had on our shelf. Um, we have been saving this, but we never quite got to it. Yes. Yeah, so we've been saving this as a, we, we, it's one of those wines that we grabbed because we were like, oh, this will work for an episode at some point, but we haven't found one that works. Um, it is called Tribunal. It is a North Coast red wine. It is cellared and bottled by Tribunal Cellars, Kenwood, California. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it continues the theme of having the same name as the winery. If there's anything we've learned, it's that most wines are named after the winery. That is correct. I mean, I just kind of always assume that like they'd probably be like such and such winery and then name of wine. But like that's doesn't seem to be i don't know we've had a really long run of not having individually named wines um but yeah it's it's a very cute bottle honestly it's Can you a read the back of it because it has like a fun little exchange. oh of course yes delightful said fox superb said unicorn glorious said dog to this judge cat rose his glass and said all shall be free and great wine will be served that is really cute. I like it. Um, it is. Uh, it's a red blend, uh, I believe. It's a 2018, right? It is a 2018 vintage. Um, a fine California year, I think. Maybe I don't know. I hope. I hope. I'm. I'm not really great with the years. Um, but uh, the cover or <laughs> the cover, the front of it has a a whole bunch of animals dressed up for uh, a court. And uh, the cat is the judge, and he's raising a glass of wine. 
and it's very cute. We figured there'd be some some sort of judicial process. There was the one chapter that we thought might, it might work with. But yeah, so what I like about this for this summary episode is that it feels like we're the tribunal deciding what worked and what didn't. And also there is a lot of theme of like people telling their stories and it being interpreted whether they are really arbiters of the truth. Kenneth Selborne is a chief example of this because she actually is like in front of a court mm, giving mm-hmm. her testimony. So yeah. I was saying that would be probably the one chapter, but we we went with other things on that. Um, but yeah, uh, that I mean, yeah, you, you actually you brought it back in perfectly. That that's kind of amazing. I think. Look at you go. Um, so let's give this an open, and uh, we'll sniff it, and then drink it, and then move on to our summary section. Sounds like a plan. Does the, is that a plan? Okay. It is, yeah. Let me let me try and open it here. Um, and since it's not a beer, I don't have to worry about getting it all over my face. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I wanted to give you a break from that. This yeah, time. it's been a little while since I haven't had to worry about that. Um, it is also 15.1% ABV. Ooh, all right. Yeah, so it's going to be a little little spicy here. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to think of like the strongest thing we've had. We had mixed drinks a couple of times, um, but I yeah, think... Yeah, we had a, uh, a a mixed drink I created. Well, and then um, we did the one that I created, too. Yeah, you did Dear Heart. I did the Barber Surgeon, which is in... It is a oh, yeah. inversion on the Medicine Man. Yep, that was a great that was a great mix, hon. I really got to give it to you. I think mine kind of tasted like bubble gum, um, which wasn't bad. it did the job, It did the it? job. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think this might actually be up there for one of the strongest things we've had. Uh, I think the Vikings blood might be the only other thing that that does get you turned. It was like 19%. Yeah. Uh, we actually finished that bottle off last night. Um, and yeah, that, that is, that is some potent stuff. Um, but yeah, this might be up there. So let, let's give it a shot. Hmm. Well, the cork was a little disappointing. I'm not going to lie. It sounded quite smooth. It was, I mean, well, yeah, it was very smooth, but it wasn't very, like, loud. Like shark skin. <laughs> very smooth, like like sharks in all directions. <laughs> Ooh, it's very purple. I mean, it's dark purple. It's very inky. Oh. So I get, like, a sharp current, mm-hmm. a sharp fruit, but then... You get like a lot of menthol. A lot of menthol. And a sharpness. A lot of menthol. Um, there's something else in it too, and I can't quite place it. I get licorice as well. That might be the one. Yeah, I think it might be a licorice note. Yes, it's licorice and like anise. Um, yeah, it's, we've seen this in a couple mm-hmm. of reds that we've had. It, it does smell super juicy though. This is This is another one of those wines that I want a candle made to smell like this. Um, it's super like, even if it doesn't taste good, like I love this smell. Like I, I want this, like it's, it's not strong. It's very fragrant. It's very complex. Yeah. I just, I want my house to smell like this. It's got kind of a, just a slight kind of oaky kind of smell to it. That kind of reminds you of like a, just like a, an old library or like a den or something. Very comforting. Smells of rich mahogany. A little bit, yes. Many leather-bound books. Yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't actually smell like leather, but it does remind you of like like an old baseball glove. 
I kept like pulling out quotes from Anchorman, hoping that you would understand. I I don't think I caught them. That's fine. Siri killed a guy. (laughs) 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 That was that was what that was supposed to be. I think was it Siri. Anyways, um, shall we give this a taste before we get two more off the rails here? Let's do it. Okay. Um, Cheers. 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 It's really, really smooth. So I thought, I did not voice this, but I thought and I suspected that it would have butteriness about Mm -hmm. it. And I'm correct. There's a touch of it there. There's like, it's very dense. It's yes, it's very very dense is a good word for it. There is a a sharp bitter note that runs through it, but not in a bad way. It just cuts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the butteriness just a bit. Yeah, in in a really good way. It's a it's mostly mineral terroir kind of driven, um, but not like overpoweringly so. It, it's very smooth in the in the nose. But then it, it gives way to a buttery kind of sharpness at the end, which is really, really nice. I'm not getting as much of the like licorice that I smelled. Um, I had a feeling of that because a lot of those kind of flavors generally or a lot of those notes usually don't show up in a flavor palette. But I have tasted licorice in a oh, yeah. lot of Napa wines. Sometimes it does. Um, but most of the time, those are flavors that don't really come through too well. So... It's not surprising that it's not there, but it it doesn't mean it, this is this is a very good wine. Um, and I think this was a Trader Joe's find, wasn't it? Trader Joe's probably is my favorite place to buy wine because they generally have things that are not too expensive but mm-hmm, interesting, mm-hmm. and they also buy things from winemakers and label it differently. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they have like exclusive deals and it's usually got, got like cool branding and mm-hmm. like cool names. I mean, like you can't really beat $8 for a great bottle of wine. I think that was about what this ran. It was like 8 or $10, which is very, very difficult to beat for. The, I would I would call this a fantastic bottle of wine, honestly. I know I don't usually mention pairings, but this does feel like a wine that would pair very well with something. I feel like it would pair really well with like a sharp cheese. Sharp cheese or something very gamey. Um, mm. This would pair very well with like elk or duck um, or yeah, like boar. Um, yeah, just super, super gamey and strong. Um, yeah, because it, it's... It's very like a rich red wine, but it's very smooth um, and doesn't stand out so much on its own. It would paint a very good background for something. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot, too. This is definitely we're we're probably going to have to buy this one again. Um, this might be like a regular like table wine kind of thing. It's very nice. I, I know what that fragrant note is. It's oak moss. Oh, interesting. What's oak it's, moss? So oak moss is I, I call it oak moss. <laughs> I just realized that, like, I know it as a as a candle fragrance. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's actually a thing, but it, it has kind of a foresty. It's like an oak tree smell. It's not an oak barrel smell, mm. if that makes sense. So, like, being in an oak forest versus being in a whiskey cellar. Okay. If that makes sense, it's a very like open, airy kind of woodsy smell i like that mm-hmm. and it's not something you get very often no no it's it's a pretty unique aroma 
So I think we should transition into the analysis. It is. It is definitely time for last call. I've been rambling enough as it is about the about smelling fucking trees. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you guys do on your weekends, but I go out and smell some fucking trees. It really, really puts me in like a really good headspace. I hate to reel you in, John. Mark. Okay, you should probably reel me in a little. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm out there. Is it time for our last call? Save rounds, alibis. Yes. yes, it definitely is <laughs> to answer that. Yes. yes. We always say that these are a bit more relaxed and we often forget <laughs> the sections or yes. their titles. So, yes. Uh, yes. Um, welcome to last call for uh, the penultimate book. and Which is the second to last. Yes. Very good. Very <laughs> second good. to last, not the last. I said at the beginning that this is a book about time. Like mm-hmm, time mm-hmm. is very much a character. It's underpins all of the things that yes. happen what do you think about that concept was it something that came across to you in the narrative oh absolutely um and it's definitely something that's been getting uh that anse has been foreshadowing once again he's a master for fucking shadowing um and we we both kind of sat there and said like there's no way he doesn't write the endings of his books before he writes the middle yeah like he writes the ending and then he writes the rest of the book to match it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's brilliant. We love it. And it absolutely works. It also allows him to really fucking work in foreshadowing very, very subtly. Um, barely noticeable until you get to the point that you turn around and you look back and you're like, holy shit, that's been here the whole time. Yes. Um, and this is a book that does that. <laughs> Um, that like the, his implication, and I think, I think it's a little bit more obvious in this one. It's not super subtle, um, that Siri has obviously been skipping through time and that, well, that's, that's a big reveal. Let's talk more about that. Is that so, a big reveal? I feel well, like it, it is and it isn't because we've been hinting around it, sniffing around it, talking mm-hmm. about it for a long time. Yeah. And I told you a while ago that her traveling through time or time travel was going to be a component yes, of this. Yes, yes. But this was the first book that really introduced that concept. Yes. And it started really with that four-day time gap. Yes. Yep. So when Vaisago to find Siri, mm-hmm. um, he notices that her wound is like barely healed. Yep. He is someone who is trained as a medicine person. Um, whatever that means back mm-hmm. in that era. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he, he put leeches on people occasionally. <laughs> so he has determined that it must have happened. Ten hours ago. You know? Yep. So when she says, oh, this happened on the equinox, he's like, that's that impossible. That was four days ago. <laughs> yeah. So did that immediately occur to you? That, oh, yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, but that why, was... why did it occur to you? Was it because of the video game? Was it because of something um, else? So okay, I'm I'm gonna be honest. It probably was mostly because of the video game, um, but if I had to take that out, I probably would have assumed that based on her encounter in the desert, that there probably was something with her moving through time. Yeah. Um, because it does seem like I think her encounter with the unicorns <laughs> kind of revealed that she may be otherworldly in some way. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely been the implication that's been building up. Um, and I do love the big reveal that she is the goddess of time and fucking space. It's great. Like, it's great. It's really fucking cool. Like I'm, I'm swearing a lot more than usual, and I apologize for You're anyone good. who's offended. I do it a lot already, but I, I'm pretty jazzed about this one because, yeah, she is. It is an awesome reveal at this point in time. 
Yeah, I I think it's interesting because all of this series, we've learned that Siri has these special talents, the special magic, but we're not sure like what that's being used towards or like what we're going, where we're going with. Yes. Yeah. So it's very interesting that it leads to this with Siri being able to traverse time, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is really like kind of the power. I feel like a lot of people want is yeah. to be able to travel through time. I mean, yeah, no, I don't think anyone would say no to it. Um, like, like I think it's really cool because like she is a master of this this concept, mm-hmm. and I think that the whole book is geared around time because she is a master of space and time. Yes, and it, it, anchoring it really firmly in a specific timeline is a very important way of establishing that there's a character that doesn't necessarily follow the rules. Yeah. Um, So having, and like you've talked about how you're someone who's very meticulous in details. And like, um, I don't mean this in any sort of slight because it's great that you are, because I'm absolutely fucking not. (laughs) Um, People mention like, like throughout this book, people constantly mention dates, like dates and times and I'm just kind of like, oh, cool. It was like September 3rd or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it was September 65th. Sure, that sounds right. Mm. Um, and I'm just not absolutely paying attention to it in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, because when it comes to specific details, I tend to be a little bit like tuned out. <laughs> you gloss over it a bit. I gloss over it a lot. Um but when we started reading this book, you said like very specifically, pay attention to the dates. Um, and I was like, okay, so I'll pay attention to the dates. And I did. And yes, you were 100% correct that like they're very important because they establish like that there is a solid timeline here and there's someone who's fucking not following it. Yeah. <laughs> and there is someone who's bouncing around and not in this normal timeline. Um, so it, it's definitely important to establish like where we are. I, I love what you say about her existing outside of these rules for mm-hmm. the universe because I, I think that's that's absolutely correct. The whole reason of introducing this concept of time is mm-hmm. to make sure that you know that something is happening with Siri. Yes, yep. Um, and, and I think that she really gets a lot of development. Her arc is really great. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We, we talked a lot at the beginning of her just suffering trauma after trauma you know watching her friends too many headed being in arena having a lot of trauma people um you know being with the rats and the whole you know the whole rat storyline was really just i didn't like it i didn't want to go through it Mm -hmm. i i don't want to go through it in the tv show either but i understand like there 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 are aspects of it that make sense you know, the worst part is that for the TV show, they're probably going to just focus entirely on the rats. Because if you think about it, that makes the most sense from a plotline standpoint, like an ease of like showing on TV. It's probably going to be mostly the rats. I do not want it. Um, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. All right. So we talked a lot at the beginning mm-hmm. about Siri being subjected to trauma after trauma. Is it too much? Like, are we suffering trauma fatigue? A little bit. <laughs> it did flip. Yeah. In the book, as we're going through series story through Vaisagoda's lens, um, we finally see Siri take back her power, mm-hmm. like regain her magic first and all. First yeah. of all, regain her power first of all. 
Um, but also reclaim her name, reclaim her like story and her journey. And mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. was the most important thing about this whole book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it did, it, I think I mentioned this before, but it did raise a lot of really interesting questions with in the encounter with Kenna that like, it kind of like reopens the floodgate for series abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and it raises some interesting questions about like, I didn't even realize that Siri like couldn't use her abilities or like couldn't use magic mm. um, because she just doesn't. And like it, it made me question and I don't know that we'll ever get an answer for it, but it, it we don't really necessarily need one for the story. Um, was, was that a self-imposed restriction that Siri like subconsciously had like, gotten so scared with trying to do fire magic that like um like her subconscious had like shut off that and like walled that off or was that like something that like i don't know something like her magic bone broke i don't i don't (laughs) for lack of a better description so for those of our listeners who may not have listened to our amazing recaps of time of contempt can you back up a little bit and talk about what happened in the desert okay well first off i want to say shame on our listeners slightly for not listening to our recap of time of contempt Um, and you can always go back yeah yeah just rewind it back a little bit it's worth it maybe we swear maybe a little bit um (laughs) But yeah, so Time of Contempt, uh, she tries to draw magic from fire. In the um, desert. In the desert. And uh, the fire becomes like all consuming. Um, And she just kind of is overwhelmed with the power of like the fire magic woman, which I think was implied to be Falca and Lauren Dune. Um, No, not Lara Dorn. No, it wasn't. No, it was Falca. Okay, but who's Falca then? Falca was, was the name that was given to Lord Lorna Dune. No, that's Wait, all wrong. Lorna um, Dunes are the cookies, aren't they? Yes. Um. <laughs> God damn it, <laughs> Laura Doran, um. <laughs> provider of Girl Scout cookies and death. <laughs> um, okay, so let let me try to. Explain this a little bit. So okay, go ahead. Falca was the leader of a rebellion. Yes, and yes. she is not related to Siri. But wait, I thought she was Laura Dorn. No, okay. Laura Dorn is a separate historical figure. Okay, maybe I didn't listen to the recap of Time of Contempt, and I was in it. Right. So, so basically, uh, in the desert, she. So there, there are various spouts that you can pull magic from mm-hmm. in the Witcher universe, and one of the ways that you can pull magic, like you can pull magic from the earth, from water, from the earth, spouts. fire, wind, water. Yeah, I think like you know the last Airbender. Um, Heart. But fire, we all know that fire magic is verboten. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. she pulls from the fire magic even though it was expressly warned for her not to do so. Yes. Um, And in the process, she becomes vengeful and full of like Falca energy and imagines all of her friends dying. I don't want you messing with that fire magic, Bobby Boucher. It's the devil. So she at the end just like collapses in a puddle after foregoing this power because she's afraid Mm -hmm. of what could happen. Yes. 
Which leads directly into my question, which was, is this a self-imposed abstinence that is subconscious that she's afraid to tap into this? Or was it something that like overloaded her magic circuit? You know what I mean? And like somebody else kind of came in and like, let's plug that back in and see what it connects to. I feel like it's a little of both because I think Siri realized the danger of it. Mm -hmm. But I think also that um, that kind of magic usage just tapped out all of her magical energy, like all Mm -hmm. of her Mm -hmm. mana bar. Yeah. A lack of a better term. And I think in the process, she was just unable to use it. And it hasn't been that long since. So she pulled her magic ACL. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Or tore her magic ACL. She was injured for a while and someone had to go in there manually and reset it. Yep. Okay. And that was kind of the vibe that I got. But I, I, like I said, I I really wasn't sure if it was self-imposed or if it was like broken. Um, it's but, a good question, and and my answer is by no means definitive. But yeah, just yeah, yeah. My opinion, and it, it like I said, it's not super important to the plot. It was just a question that kind of came up when we were reading it, um, because like yeah, like he talks about Kenna like going into Siri's brain, and then Siri feels something crunch in the back of her head, and then all of a sudden she she feels the outpouring of power that used to visit her, mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to know what crunched. ask not for whom the bell crunches it crunches it crunches for for thee (laughs) (laughs) so i i do want to highlight a line that's in there in kenna's Mm -hmm. recollection because she says that like she has like infiltrated the minds of other psionics she's seen people that are way more powerful than her but like Siri and she's like, is what like the, the fuck was most that? powerful <laughs> yes. person she's ever seen. Yes. Yep. It was just a little line that gleans so much in terms of yes. Siri's power, which is immense. It's also very revealing because um, Kenna is is built up to be a very powerful character. Mm-hmm. Um, we do see her just kind of like, yeah, she's just probing everybody. Um, <laughs> and like that's she's very good at it, too. Um, even someone who has like magical deflector bracelets or whatever, like whatever it is that, that keeps, you know, her from probing important people. Um, but she's still kind of able to get through a lot of them. Um, so we do see that she is very capable and very competent. Um, and she encounters Siri and she's just like, what the fuck was that? Like, um, she's, she is very talented well and above, you know, people with her ability level. Yeah. Um, so before we go into Geralt and Co., um, as I call them, mm-hmm. um, let's talk a little bit about Visigoda. Okay. I don't want to miss him in all of this because yeah. we love Visigoda. We do. Um, we do. For me, Visigoda was such an unexpected surprise because mm. we're kind of used to distrusting strangers and people who are with Siri yeah. because, yeah. you know, generally they mm. haven't had the best of intentions. Yeah. Yep. But I think Visigoda and Siri's relationship is so beautiful because he kind of got a second chance at mm-hmm. being like a father slash yeah. grandfather yeah. and being a guide. And in a lot of ways, so a guide is a very common trope mm. in fiction like think about like the butler and batman Mm -hmm. alfred alfred um wow Uh (laughs) uh-huh alfred yeah yes it's alfred 
I'm sorry. Yes. I, I haven't watched You're that movie in a long time. <laughs> um, but like someone who is able to guide the mm. hero to the next step of their journey. Yes. For me, Vice Dakota was that person that Siri needed mm. to give her the knowledge and the confidence to really engage on the next leg of her journey. Um, what do you think about the role Vice Dakota played in this book? Um, he's the wizened hermit. Um, and I mean, that's, that's, it is a, it's a, it's a cliche, it's a trope, um, but it's very earned here, um, because like we, and you kind of have to work something in here, um, because she does need kind of like a secondary or, well, at this point, a tertiary or pentiary <laughs> mentor. Um, she's had a lot of mentors at this point. Um, and so she kind of needs that, like, she's now kind of already semi fully formed in and of herself um so this is kind of like and and i don't know if anyone else has necessarily had this experience in like early adulthood maybe it's just me maybe i'm weird um but you kind of have like like kind of like mentors in that regard you kind of like listen to um and even if you don't necessarily take their advice like you do still like take stock in what they have to say right mostly because they're so long in the tooth um mostly because they they've seen a lot of things been a lot of places had a lot of experiences um and so like you do kind of take their words with weight um even if you don't agree with them even if you don't take them and use them you still listen to them um and i think that's kind of the relationship this is more like a work mentor at this point for her right um she's already trained she's already capable she's already learned she's already taught this is someone just kind of guiding and like providing insight so i had a realization i'm not sure if this is gonna be completely accurate but i think that vice is to siri as vesemir is to Geralt. absolutely 100 percent um yes yes because they are they are peers. I was gonna. I was gonna say they're even though they're not peers, but they are absolutely peers um, because Siri. We do see, especially in this book, that Siri is very academically inclined, um, and that was actually probably her original gift was her academic abilities. Um, and it kind of seems like one of the things that's implied in this book is that like you strip all of Siri's abilities away, you strip all of her training away she's still fucking smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is like kind of like her core is that she's she's very smart and she's very educated. And so at her basest, she meets Visigoda as a peer. Yeah. Um, and, and as a peer, he becomes kind of a mentor to her in that she's kind of neglected to some extent her larger philosophical aspirations. Yeah, and I I think that what Siri needs at this point of her journey is really tempering because, I mean, it's understandable why Siri would be angry. It's understandable why she would want revenge. I mean, so many people have wronged her. But at Mm, the same mm. time, I think Visegoda helps her realize that blind revenge isn't the answer. Mm -hmm. And that's something that Geralt still struggles with. Yeah, yeah. It's a problem. 
Um, and I think that he helps her understand by mm-hmm. the end, like, okay, killing people is not going to give me what I want necessarily. Yes, yeah. there's a time and place for it. But I need to understand that I should have limitations. I should mm-hmm. let some things go. Yeah. Yep. That yeah, that very often discretion is the better part of valor. Um, that like that tempering and that reeling back in um, allows definitely allows her to be more focused and more free and effective in her approach. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to kind of just go into a blind rage and just like slam on the castle door, you know, and try and kick it down until you get in. But more than likely, you're probably going to be killed on the way. Um, it's more important to temper your approach and take a minute to take stock and say, oh, okay, well, I can climb up the wall and climb in the window and just get in the castle. Um, yes. And I'm I'm speaking metaphorically um, as well as semi-literally here um, that, like I said, it, you know, rage and anger and revenge are tools in your tool chest of, of attack, basically. It's interesting. I think that most parents hope that their kids, like, go beyond them and mm-hmm. like do mm-hmm. better than them yeah and like i think siri is going beyond gerald's capabilities yes yep. like siri is able to put aside like the revenge and the blind anger mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. gerald is not quite able to do that even though he's way older than her yeah um so i think that gerald if he saw this and and I think that this was also something that Carol pointed out way back in Blood of Elves. Like, I don't want you to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want you to exact revenge. Yeah, like, that yep. shouldn't be your motivation. Yes. But as many parents do, I think that Geralt said that because he saw something... In himself. He saw something in her that he saw in himself. Yes, yep. And we see that parallel but siri is much better at putting it aside and doing what needs to be done Mm -hmm. and and that is the ultimate like mentorship type relationship beyond parenting um that i'm gonna draw a little bit on on a show that i know that you hate uh scrubs hate is a strong (laughs) word hate is probably a strong word in that regard but um, so for those who have or who are unfamiliar, Scrubs is about a uh, a young doctor who is like interning at a hospital. Young is subjective. Um, he starts out as a young doctor <laughs> who's <laughs> interning at a hospital. Um, and he has a mentor who is very, very competent, very, very capable. Um, but he constantly self-sabotages in his personal relationships, in his professional existence, um, the doctor that mentors him basically can't get beyond just being like kind of like one of the people. He can't really rise up to being like the the manager or the, you know, the the head doctor of the entire hospital, even though he's capable of doing it. Um, so he becomes the main character's mentor sort of unintentionally, but just because he's he's very capable and competent, competent. Um, and there's a lot of other complexity too that the main character has, but there's a, there's an interaction that they have, um, that's always kind of stuck out with me very heavily. The main character says at some point to his mentor, I want to be you, but I want to be a more successful version of you. Yeah. Um, and that's basically kind of what 
I think is is happening here that like the the main character recognizes the self-sabotaging behaviors and all of the problems inherent in his mentor's personality and he wants to take the good that he sees in his mentor and apply it to himself but also try and learn from the mistakes that they made um and that that's that's basically the ideal mentor mentee relationship um and i think at this point series sees that and Visigoda was kind of the lens that allowed her to see what Geralt was saying when he said, I will not train you if, if you commit to an act of revenge, basically. Right. Mm. Um, because Geralt doesn't take his own advice. Surprise. <laughs> that, <laughs> um, that is the most surprising thing I've ever heard, actually. Yeah, I know, right? Um, but yeah, that, that, that's kind of the same, the same problem inherent in, in the, the mentor in Scrubs is that like he is self-sabotaging and that is a character trait that he doesn't in the, in the show he doesn't recognize in himself, but Geralt recognizes that he is very lustful for revenge. Um, and he does not want to pass that trait on. Right. I, I think that's very accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think by is able to bring a perspective that Geralt isn't. He's able to bring a scholarly perspective that bless mm-hmm. his heart. Geralt just, doesn't have absolutely um and but that's that's a way uh, sorry to cut you off um that's a way to meet siri mm -hmm. if that may if if you understand what i mean that like that is where siri communicates best um she's not naturally a fighter she's been trained as a fighter she's good at it um but it's not it's not a language she naturally speaks um she's not a mage naturally she's been trained as a mage she's good at it but it's not her natural language. Hmm. It's not her natural trait. Her natural trait is a scholar and an academic. Oh, that's interesting because I guess I didn't really think of it that way. But like, it's the only are, way that you can meet her on her terms. These are Sorry, things that Geralt and Yennefer instilled in her because yes. they both trained her in that. But it's not like either of those. Yes, was her like her first yes. language. Yes. Very interesting. It's not her native language. It's not where you meet her. Mm. Um, an important thing when communicating with anybody is to meet them on their terms, um, is to meet them in a way that they understand. Um, because as I've said before, I think, um, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what your intention is. It, un- it matters what the other person understands. Mm-hmm. Um, it matters what the other person understands and interprets. Visigoda can meet her on her level. Yeah. In a language that she can understand, in a language that she can interpret. Um, and he's thus far the only character that has really been able to do that. She listens to Geralt, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> she listens to him for advice on fighting. She listens to Yen for advice on magic and girl stuff. well actually no that was more tris but but she's naturally an academic yeah i mean and that's just the core of the thing um she's naturally just smart (sighs) i wouldn't know about that um (laughs) Uh, (laughs) well i took eighth grade math math twice what do you want from me we should talk about what went on with Geralt this book um mm-hmm. 
there was a lot that happened. Like okay. Geralt's arc was very much. It's different for Geralt because Geralt was never known for liking the accolades or, or seeking mm-hmm. the spotlight. But really, in this chapter, he he's really like arrogant. Like at the beginning of it, yeah, yeah, <laughs> because he got knighted. He's a Sir Geralt of Rivia, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of has to be brought down a peg or two. Well, I mean, like even it's it's one of those things where like even people who even people who don't like intrinsically seek recognition, it's still nice to be recognized once in a while. You He's know? not used to it. No, um, but well, and as a result, he probably doesn't know how to handle it. No. <laughs> so no. like, he's probably used to people like throwing the gold at him and being like, you're disgusting. Go away. Take your money and leave. Right. And so like having someone recognize and say like, that was amazing what you did here. Like, I'm going to give you land and, like, appreciate you. He can't handle it. Like, he can't can't handle his liquor, you know? Yeah. And I think that throughout, he really has to learn that he has to bury the hatchet and move on, which is very hard for him to do. Yeah, because it it feels good to be recognized. Right. Um, Like, with him and Kahir is really the most relevant example of this. Yeah, Because he can't let the Kahir stuff go. And he, like, eventually does reconcile with him, but not before he does an inordinate amount of damage. So, what were your feelings on Geralt and Kahir? Because that seems to be a big relationship arc. So, I really, genuinely, mostly think that Geralt uh, taking issue with k here is self-sabotage um and that that's mostly what it is i think um that i think that he feels that k here is going to betray him at some point um and so it's just much easier if he just betrays him first and just beats him to the punch right um and i really think that's kind of like the end of it but at the same time like we we even as the reader don't necessarily know Kahir's full motivations. But I also kind of get the vibe that Kahir doesn't fully understand his own fucking motivations. So, like, um, I don't think that it's necessarily something that needs to be understood right now. Just for the time being that they are kind of on the same page. Yeah, like, Geralt is really annoying, this book, because he's so sure of himself, but he's always wrong. <laughs> like 100%. Always wrong. All the time. Completely wrong. Like a great example is when he says that Ciri is dead and mm-hmm. it's days before the equinox. Or when he says that Yennefer has definitely betrayed him, which I can kind of understand based yeah, yeah. on what happened at the Ned. But Well, he also like doesn't even realize what day it is. Like he doesn't realize that the equinox hasn't even passed yet. Like Yes. And also, I feel like he is kind of right because Yennefer did give him up, but it was under extreme duress. Well, but and also he doesn't know that at this point. And yeah, it's under extreme duress. And like she only kind of gave up like a brief, quick glimpse of him. But again, that's self-sabotage because I feel like for him, it's easier to just turn it off and be like, okay, I'm going to reject people and like write them out of my life before they even have, you know, given me a concrete reason. Well, and this is the, this is the problem with the inherent like lone wolf edge Lord archetype is that like, Oh, everyone's always betrayed me in my past. So I just should just betray people right now to beat them to betraying me. 
Yeah. Um, and it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, but it's super annoying if you're trying to actually accomplish something with those kind of characters. Um, yes. Fortunately, the entire party recognizes that as an obnoxious personality flaw that he just has and just ignores it. Yes. <laughs> For the most part, until he slaps Kay here with his fucking gauntlet. To be sensitive to Geralt for a minute, I mm-hmm. understand where this is coming from. Yes. Um, because Childhood abandonment will do that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> let's move on. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I understand where this comes from with Geralt. I get it. But it's like, it just annoys me because I see so much of this in myself mm-hmm. that I'm like, Oh my God, Geralt! Just build a bridge and get get the over fuck over it. Because <laughs> you are like fucking one hundred years old. You've got to yeah. get over it at some point. You have to have at least have had at least one relationship in your life where someone didn't betray you, and it all worked out in the end. And you can just draw on that, like and stop coming for my girl Yennefer. Seriously, stop it. Seriously, yeah. I'm like I'm rooting for you, and I hate you at the same time. Like, I get Kay here. It's annoying, but I get it. But also, chill the fuck out. Anyway, so we leave Geralt, really. I mean, like, he has a lot of great moments. I mean, giant fucking tree comes to mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we leave him sort of, we're not sure where he's going from here. You know, really, all we know is that they're headed to Toussaint now. So we'll see what comes of that. Mm-hmm. We also know that he probably has a relationship with Frangilla Vigo at some point. So I... I- Yes, he probably does, but I don't know where that's going to come in, and I'm sure we're going to find out about it, and it's probably going to flow more organically than I, it feels like it should, um, but I I think, like, it still feels weird, you know? Mm. Like, I still feel like it's going to be clunky, you know? Mm. But we'll have to see. I don't know. There's still that little part of me that hopes that that's not real. But let's get to really the hero of like a secondary hero. Like Mm. we'll call Siri the first hero. But let's get to our secondary hero, Yennefer. Of course. We fucking love her. Of course. She had a great moment this book. Yes, absolutely. Yennefer really just showed herself. She does what it takes Mm -hmm. to help. Yes. And and I loved her journey because I think what we've seen with Yennefer and we've on this very podcast expressed our like frustration with Yennefer as well because mm-hmm. Yennefer has had bad moments. Yes. But what we love about her journey is that she really learns how to sacrifice and that was yeah. always so hard for her. Absolutely. Um yep. like we learn a little bit about Jennifer's backstory which obviously was fleshed out a little bit more in the TV adaptation. Um and I love the Norse mythology. It oh, takes yeah. us yeah, through yeah. this really cool uh, montage of of different things, but I think Jennifer learns a really important lesson in that it can't all be about serving herself. Sometimes she has to go out on a limb and do something, almost taking a page from Gerald's book. Yeah, she has to go out on a limb, kind of like when she was on that tree. Ooh, I like uh, that. Sorry. Um, yeah, and like this is, this is kind of Yen realizing, and it's kind of like a really good metaphor for, permit me to speak, speak with like kind of broad generalizations about the sexes here for a minute. Um, But like, it's kind of a really good 
kind of microcosm of like kind of how men approach problems and how women approach problems. Um, in that I, I genuinely feel like women tend to be a little bit more tactical and a little bit more like, like taking time to take stock of a situation and, you know, being a little bit more cognitive about how to approach something. Whereas a lot of men, myself included, tend to just like, all right, I'm going to go in and just hit it as hard as I can and, and just be a little bit bullheaded about it. And there's a time and a place for both of those approaches. But yes. usually, usually the best approach is kind of a meeting in the middle. So we see the end result of, of what Geralt does, which exactly. is bashing his head against a wall, going in yes. circles, getting lost, not finding anything. And I think Yennefer gets way closer to the source. Yes. But also, I mean, like, I think that her traveling to the Sedna Abyss is very inspired by Geralt's just like, I'm going to fucking do something. Yeah. I'm yeah. Going I don't know if mind. it's the right thing to do. I don't know if it's the smart thing to do, but by God damn it. <laughs> I'm just going to charge in there and just smash it until it tells me what I want. Um, and yeah, like I said, and I think, I think Yen kind of realizing like, okay, I can be smart about bashing my head against the thing until it gives me what I want. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to kind of do it my way, but I need to do that. Like, yes, so I need to do something. The, yeah. And, and the ultimate like success lies in melding the two approaches. Um, and I think that's kind of a, the whole, that's kind of a, a little kind of underlying metaphor for this book it is kind of just like the different approaches that one can take to accomplishing an objective. Right. And, and what I love about this though, for Yennefer is that, um, at the end, we see a real change in her. She wants to make sure that there are the minimum number of people manning yeah. this launch yeah. kit because yes. she knows what's going to happen. Yeah, like these people are probably going to die. She insists that Hjalmar, mm-hmm. Crate's son, does not accompany them to yeah. do this. Yeah, like, which is probably a pretty hard thing to make sure happens because, because of his, like bullheaded like she's like bash it in the face approach yes she she definitely very much more understands that approach as well now that like that there is a time and a place for that this is not one of those times because this will get you killed Mm -hmm. um and she's like yeah i know that like all these people are probably gonna die i'm probably gonna die too but we need to figure this out so this is not the time to be a bullheaded hero. Which is what makes it all the more frustrating when she talks to Triss and Philippa and they refuse to help her yeah. at all. I know well, that you before had sort of a weird appreciation for Philippa because I feel like we all do. Like yeah, Philippa is not yeah. our favorite, but we're like, okay, like she's got some good qualities, I guess. She's she's very Machiavellian, but she's also benevolent at least up until this point right um and at this point you're just like wow fuck you bitch like yes um what the fuck like it just like it's just such a like just an up yours and fuck you than the horse you rode in on like no you'll you'll die a traitor you'll always be a traitor go to hell 
and like there's no need for it in any way no like literally yen is asking like the bare minimum of, of like like hey, just clear my name to just the like he doesn't really matter yeah. to you yeah and yeah. and they're just kind of like nope nope uh he's gonna know that you're a traitor it's doubly frustrating because we know Triss like cares so much about Siri and Geralt. It's like, okay, can't you help me just a little bit? Like, can't you put aside our differences and just fucking help a little bit? Like, but I also feel like this is the first. This is the first trial of sacrifice that Yen has to make. Mm. Um, that this is. Yeah, she knew that she was going to have to sacrifice, like, comfort and safety and probably the usage of her hands um, at some point. But this is the first kind of like, okay, well, I have to just be okay with having a reputation of being a traitor. And I just have to be okay knowing that I'm doing the right thing, even though no one else knows it. Right, and, th- um, and that's very hard. That's a hard sacrifice to make. It like, is. It really is. Um, because, like, you really think about it, like, a lot of people don't think about their, their reputation I- in any sort of regular capacity. I'm not saying I do. If you could not control the fact that every single person that you have ever known will then forever think that you're a piece of shit, even though you were doing something good um would you still do that thing like it's hard because like yennefer has really lost everything yeah yes and and i think that she really shows a lot of fortitude because even when she lands in vilgefortz's like chair of torture Mm -hmm. and empathetic probe she doesn't give up siri and she barely wants to give up anything about Geralt. like Yeah, yeah This is definitely a big change. Like she has changed mm-hmm. maybe the most of yeah, any yep. character in this series. Because well, as we have very, very much said that Yennefer is actually low key, the main character like, and, and she's not in a lot of chapters, especially toward the end of the series, mm-hmm. but like her chapters are so impactful. They're, they're probably the most important chapters that have been in the last two books is Yen's chapters. My favorite chapter was definitely chapter nine. Mm-hmm. I mean, mine was also chapter nine just because of Volgafoots. But well, let's let's meander before we summon him. Yeah, let's yes. meander over to the summit o baddies because we got a lot of bad guys and the, the stupid Legion of Doom. Yes, really. Yes. I mean, like Seven Skellen is what he is. Um, Reince is what he is. But Vilgefortz, as always, just steals mm-hmm. the show with Absolutely. endless monologues and magical yep. caskets. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's so fucking melodramatic. So we learn a little bit more about Vilgefortz's plans. Like, so mm-hmm. really, he just wants to extract Sirius Placenta, which is totally, totally, totally cool. Yeah, um, yeah, I, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I have, I have questions. I don't want to ask them, but I have questions. So what do we think about Vilgefortz's role in all of this and maybe where he goes from here? I have no clue. Like, I really <laughs> like and I, I live with the guy and I, I have no fucking idea. You guys are going to be in like an, an odd <sighs> couple sitcom. Yeah. 
and I'm going to be like constantly complaining that like, Hey, I have to go to work at like 6 AM tomorrow and you're having a meeting with your henchmen. Can you please not right now? It is one o'clock in the morning. You're also just, if nothing else, just very loud. Like you can meet with your henchmen. Just do you have to do the dramatic? And you never stop and talking. you never stop talking. Does your dramatic monologue have to be so goddamn loud? Also, I tried to have a friend over yesterday and your magical barrier around the house broke their car. Like, <laughs> can you please do something about that? No? Okay, cool. Also, can you do something about, like, can you bippity-boppity-boo the fucking dishes in the sink? Not a good roommate, I guess. No, he's a terrible roommate. Vilgefortz's role. What do you think of his role this book? Um... I mean, so obviously he's kind of like the big bad evil guy, um, but I, I think he would describe himself as like the big bad evil guy. But like, I don't think that he actually is. He's just so comical at this point. It's like he's he's very comical. Every time he has a plot, it's just like yep. completely goes to shit. And he's like not teleporting it's, to this because he's afraid. It's exceedingly circuitous. Um, it's his motivations are basically just like get Siri <laughs> um, profit question mark. Yes, question mark, question mark. <laughs> that is literally his motivations. Yeah, he he's like, okay, yeah, I'm. I want to get Ceres placenta, and do what? And do what with it? Create the child that's going to rule the world. I mean, I don't know. is he gonna create like a clone army? Is he gonna like? Ooh, clone um, army! Don't give him more ideas. I I know, like that. It, that's very much in Volgaforce's like camp. Like that's definitely kind of like it's in his, his wheelhouse. Yeah, it's very much in his wheelhouse. But like, I don't know. I really don't like. His motivation right now is just get serious placenta. Right. <laughs> and, and I know I keep saying that, but they keep using that phrase and it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> so let's get to series ultimate triumph. Yes. At the end, because that's yes. what we really all care about. Of course, of course. Um, like she is able to really get one over on her enemies. She's able yep. to enter the Tower of the Swallows. So what were your thoughts on how this book ended and where we go from here? Um, I mean, the ending is fantastic. We we all knew that she was going to make... Of course she was going to make it to the fucking tower as well. Mm-hmm. It was like, it's the book, it's t- the book title. It's yes. the fucking book title. Like, of course she she's going to make it. Um, and also, like, it's a big question mark. Like, of course she needs to explore it. Like, we as the reader need to see it. But yeah, like uh, it's still like amazing. Like there is that brief moment of just like absolute despair that like you hear that like oh yeah, it's just a big pile of rocks and you're just like, "Oh. Okay. Um well, that's upsetting." <laughs> um but then kind of before we can really process that, then all of a sudden like Siri there, there's a there's a tower there which is fucking cool like (laughs) um yeah like it like there is definitely that level of like supernatural paranormal-ishness to it um that like this tower existed at some point but because it existed at some point at this location um and it exists outside of time that like it just kind of always exists at this point Mm -hmm. and siri can just kind of like access it yeah which is really fucking cool (laughs) yeah like 
I think we've always known she was the chosen one. Yeah, but of course, like, we knew. This really highlights it. Like, oh, this portal only opens for her. Like, this explains more of the rules of these portals because yeah. they didn't really make sense. Yeah, yep. Um, Like, for example, the portal opens up at the Tower of the Gulls on mm-hmm. the Ned because Siri is the chosen one. And it exactly. blows up in Vogelfortz's face, which is why he now has a gem as an eye. Which is super cool for a villain. I'm not going to lie. He really does seem like a Bond villain. It's like... He's he's not subtle enough to be a Bond villain. He's very over the top. Um, He's more he's like, like a... Like a Batman villain, right? Yes. Yes. He's more of a Batman he's a villain. Joker level. Yes. He's more of a Batman or like a Johnny Quest villain mm-hmm. or like a Scooby-Doo villain. Well, he's a little bit more serious than a Scooby-Doo villain. Like he's a Power Rangers villain. Hmm. Yes. I know. I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So when Siri gets to the other side of, she sees and meets people like Bicegoda. Mm-hmm. I think there is probably something to your theory that she can only really interact with people who are dead because she is the Styx River Boatman. She is Death. She is the Grim Reaper. She well, is Death she incarnate. Does say she is Death. Um, so she does interact with Vaisagoda. Uh-huh. Um, she only really sees Yennefer, so that may lend a point to Yennefer not, not being, being dead. Not being dead, maybe. I don't know. Um, she wants to save her, and she also see, sees Geralt in the act, which must be just absolutely mortifying for yep. her. Yep, yep, that's, um, that's dad, yep. Okay. And finally, she's going toward her destiny, which is confirmed by her going toward these door, these like these sets of doors that we've seen since time of contempt. We knew that she mm. was going toward mm. this, and now it's confirmed like what she was going towards the whole time. I would just like to go on record that I really don't want Avalok, since apparently that's who it is, to be like super weird and like self-entitled and like basically just rip his pants off and be like, all right, you're here. This is your destiny. Okay. Well, let's have not, a kid. It's not going to be. Avalok. Get on this. It's not going to be Avalok. Okay. Let's talk Wait, a little bit. You said of, it was Avalok. Well, yes. The elf at the end is Avalok. Okay. But that's not quite what he wants out of this, but we can talk about that in a minute. Are we sure about that? I am. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> She eventually exits through this spring-like portal to Narnia. And mm. uh, Mr. Tumnus... Oh, sorry. I meant the the elf slash Avalok is playing the pan flute. Yeah. And she sees this angular elf and he sort of asks, like, whimsically, like, what kept you so long? Um, Want a Turkish delight? I I have revealed, and I'm sorry, spoiler alert, this is Avalok. Okay. Um... I know that your fears about Avalok, that's not what's going to happen. I, okay, I, okay. I don't want to mislead you at all. Okay. There yeah. is going to be some creepy stuff with Siri. It won't It won't involve Avalok in that way. He is involved in the plot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay. it doesn't quite unfold that way. Okay, and I'm, I'm kind of leaning on the video game here a little bit because the video game has been accurate in terms of Avalok's character up until this point. Um, that... Slight spoiler, um, Avalok is very much obsessed with Siri, um, and we find that out kind of later in the video game. Um, and he he's not like super creepy or weird about it, um, but I just kind of like f- knowing him and like the experience up until this point. Like 
I could kind of very much see him just being like, your destiny is this dick. Um, sorry for the crudeness, but like well, that's kind of like the vibe that I've, I could see happening. Okay, let, let me let me think about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that Lara Doran. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we also learn a lot about Lara Doran. Yeah. Um, throughout the series and. Geralt finally gets it confirmed for him that Ciri is a descendant of Lardorn from Avalok. Yeah, yep. Um, but we learned that Lardorn was the result of many centuries of planning. Yeah. Um, so wouldn't it make sense that they want to subject Ciri to sort of the same sort of planning? Yes. And that was that's why I get that vibe from him. Well, because I the the flips the other side of that coin that I get from him is that like he's been tracking like series lineage for so long and I kind of feel like in the back of his mind he's saying kind of like oh well yeah she's like the perfect specimen like she should absolutely have my babies because I am the perfect like elf who has transcended time and space as well um and you know i also have this fantastic great lineage of pure-blooded elvenish elvenness um and so as a result like our our babies would rule the world like so there's definitely like that vibe that i kind of get from him there's a part of the video game that i don't think you're remembering right now okay. that probably has more of a clue as to what avalok's plans for her are oh you're mean um, but I don't want to reveal that because I've already revealed quite a few spoilers. Okay. What I will ask you for are, okay, we're soon, next week soon, entering the era of the Lady of the Lake. This is correct. And I want to know some of your predictions, and I know that this is a little hard to future cast, but like, what are your predictions for what's next for Geralt, what's next for Yennefer, and what's next for... For Siri. Okay. Predictions are one way or another, Avlock is going to get weird. Um, The scale of weirdness (laughs) is up for debate, but he's going to get weird. Um, So I think we're going to have to contend with that. Um, I think if Yennefer is still alive, I suspect, I don't think she's going to get. I don't think she's going to break out, but I think someone may break her out. Hmm. And I have some possible thoughts. What are your thoughts? I think Tris might be involved. Oh, oh, oh. You should never play poker. Um, (laughs) What if I just make like bad poker faces to throw you off? You might, Um, but you usually don't. Let's see. uh, Geralt... Apparently, he's going to get it on with Frangilla Vigo. Um, So we're probably going to see how that's going to unfold. It's probably going to make sense at the time, and we're going to look back at it and be like, oh, wow, I can't believe we didn't see that thing that Anse very heavily and subtly worked in. Um, But it somehow now magically all makes sense because he's a fucking wizard when it comes to writing. Um, You're a wizard, Anse. He is. He's a fucking wizard. Uh, let's see who else we got. Uh, Triss, I think, is going to be involved in some way in rescuing again. Um, Siri herself, 
I mean, now that she's realized that she's the goddess of time and space, I think she's going to begin singing the song that ends the world. I I really have no idea where they're going with her. Um, because, like, because there's so many different directions that she could go, and I don't know where they're going to go with her. I mean, like, unless she kind of magically decides to, like, teleport into Vogelfortz's castle and, like, steal Yen out, um, but I, that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, maybe it would. I don't I don't know. There's a lot of directions we could go with this. And by the way, why I don't speculate is because I've already read a I know. significant... <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm telling our listeners, not uh, you. Yeah, sorry. Um, I've read a significant portion of The Lady of the Lake, so I know a little bit about what happened, so I don't want to taint any of it with my bad predictions. Um, I don't know how it ends. I was going to say, but you have not read the end. You have been holding out for over a year. I have, just for this podcast. And that's amazing, and I'm proud of you and impressed. Well, we're about to leave the Tower of Swallows era forever. We are. We are. And are there any parting words or any parting thoughts about Tower of Swallows that you want to leave us with? Um. If fighting with Bonart taught us anything, it's don't draw from the drop. Um, basically, yeah, if somebody has the drop on you, don't try and draw your gun on them. Like, okay. Yeah, like he's he's bad. Like, don't he's gonna punch you in the face. Bonart and Skellen are still on the board. Yeah, they are definitely still on the board. I want to see how Bonart's gonna end. Um, he was kind of a meteoric, out of nowhere bad guy. Um, and he's been really interesting to watch. Do you think that he is better or worse than Vilgefortz? He's a more interesting villain. Mm. Like, he's a real villain um, in that he is more realistic and grounded in reality and actually kind of terrifying. Um, there's a reason I don't... I, we don't have a character for him. He's too hard. <laughs> because he's creepy <laughs> and actually kind of scary and not fun. Um, Vogelfortz is fun and ridiculous and kind of like dramatic. Um, Vogelfortz is gonna continue to try and do bad guy things. I don't know. He's probably gonna continue to fail at doing bad guy things. Um, I suspect somebody's gonna smash his crystal eye at some point. Um, and he's gonna be deeply fucking butthurt about it. <laughs> we'll see. So we want to hear from you if you had different takeaways from Tower of Swallows or maybe the same ones, you know, like validate our egos. Let us know by following and DMing us at Midnight Bookcast. We love to hear from you. Um, Your opinions are always really interesting. They help us think about things from new angles. Of course, John Mark and I are always talking to each other. So we need others opinions. We need external input. We really do. We, so. we get a little circular in our logic sometimes. So. so please do DM us. Let us know your thoughts. Or if you're old school, you can always email us mm-hmm. at midnightbookcast at gmail.com. Pump up the ego. Pump it up. Get the body pumping. Mm. If you'd like to support this podcast and the making of it, because we do pay hosting fees. We do uh, spend several of our hours, probably too many of our hours, 
in recording this podcast. You can also donate to us by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash midnightpod. Again, that's buymeacoffee.com slash midnightpod. And we will see you in the Lady of the Lake era. Indeed. I think the fire is getting a little low. This wine is settling into the fire pretty good. Mm. And it's pretty flammable. So I should probably back off from the fire. Probably. And I think we need to go... Find that Tower of Swallows. Find that Tower of Swallows, yeah. Finally. Yep, yep. Uh, So that we can ascend and become goddesses of time and space ourselves. If only. Not evil, but terrible and beautiful as the rising sun. And with that, I'm John Mark. And I'm Alexa. Good night. Good night. Good night.